my wife Joe and I usually sit way in the back, and Joe said to me, it sounds so much different from up here in front, so maybe we'll start sitting a little closer. Um, my name is Jeff Tetz, and I'm a deacon here at First Baptist Church of Sandy Springs, um, one of the newest deacons. I've only been a deacon here at this church for two years, and only going to this church for about four years. In your uh, handout, it says that I'm going to give my testimony, and I'd like to call it more of a testimony slash confession to you all. So uh, everybody kind of brace yourself. Some of you may even know my testimony. It's, it started when I was 16 years old, and I got mad at my mom, and I thought the solution to my problems was going to be to steal my mom's car and her ATM card and go to the bank and take all the money out of her bank account and run away from home. That wasn't a very good solution. <laughs> um, and my mom was pretty mad. And so when I did, when the law caught up with me, she pressed charges and I went into a foster home for the next two years. It was a very good thing that happened because my life changed after that. My mom wasn't a real religious person. She, uh, you know, struggled with me, got divorced, and I was a problem as well. And the foster home was completely different. Um, the, my foster parents, Mark and Caroline, Mark was a pastor at the church, and we went to church two times on Sunday, and I got introduced to this new way of life, and I was saved. I was born again, uh, and all that happened in a real short period of time, and then I stayed there until I was 18 years old, and then moved out on my own. So all that happened 30 years ago. And it's funny, nobody usually really asks me what happened in that in-between time. Uh, for what, Where were you for 30 years, Jeff? What were you doing? And so that's kind of the confession part that I'm going to talk about now. So at 21, I got married to my first wife. And at 22, had my daughter, uh, Candace, with my first wife. She did most of the work. Um, so and in your 20s, if you're not that close to God, you tend to uh, get into trouble. Idle hands in the devil's playground. I think you've heard that expression. So I was kind of a partier in my 20s, and you know, I, I do drugs occasionally as well, too. And one of the jobs I got when I was about 25 years old was driving a taxi. And during that time, I was introduced to cocaine. And I became addicted to cocaine. And it was a big part of my life that I'm ashamed of because it stretched for 10 years of that period I was just talking about. So from my 20s and into my 30s, um, it became something that I thought was fun and that I did, and I thought, oh, this can't really hurt me. But I didn't realize that, you know, that was temptation. That was the devil telling me that this can't really hurt you. You're fine. You're bigger than this. It's no big deal. And like I said, I wasn't close to God. I had been saved. I was born again, but, you know, I didn't have God in my life, and so I wasn't being kept safe. This addiction, over 10 years, started out as a lot of fun and then ended up as a lot of pain. It became something that was monthly. Then it became something that was every time I was paid, which was every two weeks. Then it became every week, and I had to find a way to make the money in between there. Um, I've probably broken nine out of the Ten Commandments. The only one I haven't broken is I never overdosed, so I never managed to kill myself. That's why I'm here today talking to you about this. It's, I think it's important that... I understand now why a lot of the things happened. Some of the things that seemed completely irrelevant at the time were actually God looking out for me and positioning me. 
Uh, right in the middle of this whole 10 year period of time, I was in between jobs, but I had started a career in telecommunications. And I met Joe Tebbets while I was still married to my first wife, and we became friends at the place where we worked. And in the year 2002, things got so bad that I lost my wife, I lost my house, and I lost my job. It was pretty close to the equivalent of rock bottom. And then after all that happened, and I wasn't, you know, this place where Joe worked anymore, Joe still wanted to be my friend, and she still wanted to help me, and she helped me and stayed with me and got me to get another job at a different place. And, you know, now it's getting close to uh, 2004, and more temptation came into my life. Um, my dad died when I, uh, this was in 2002, I'll get too off course here. He died of mesothelioma. And my mom called one of those 1-800 numbers I'm sure you guys see on TV all the time for, oh, if you've had uh, mesothelioma, call this number. There is nothing worse you can have as an addict than to have a bag of money dropped in your lap. I can assure you of that. And it was at that moment that I decided I've either got to stay clean, or I mean get clean, or I'm going to completely destroy myself. And so I did. But I was still unwilling to let God into my life at this point. Even though I was born again Christian and I had been 25 years, I hadn't been in church with the exception of weddings and funerals, I wasn't ready to let God into my life. So I couldn't do a 12-step program. And any of you who are familiar with 12-step programs, I was very ready to do step one, which is admitting I had a problem. But steps two and three were killing me because I had to submit to God. I had to admit that this higher power is what I needed to bring sanity back to my life. Well, anyway, I managed to get clean without a 12-step program, but it didn't, it didn't hold. Um, I've been drug-free for 11 years, minus little relapses that kept happening along the way. And those relapses kept happening because God wasn't in my life. The most recent one that led me to First Baptist Church of Sandy Springs, Joe and I like to affectionately call the incident of 2012. Uh, I went out drinking with some friends, and we were out all night. The next morning when I came home, that's right, I didn't make it home that night, so I had to come home the next day. Joe met me at the door, and she said, we're going to church. <laughs> and I, I said, okay, I'm really glad that you didn't say you want a divorce or that uh, you need therapy or anything like that. Joe knew what the solution was. And so we went to church that Sunday. This was Friday night that I stayed out all night. Saturday morning I came home, and Sunday we went to church. Um, and I'd never been in church, like I said, in a long time. And we went to a Catholic church, which I wasn't a part of. I was kind of raised Baptist. Um, and it probably, it didn't work out. Uh, it was a lot longer than I thought it'd be. And it's a good thing that, uh, you know, we kept searching around for churches and found First Baptist. Otherwise, I'd probably still be genuflecting somewhere in some Catholic church somewhere. Anyway, we live about two blocks away, and after that Sunday, we decided, well, let's go to a different church. We came to this church. We walked over here. David wasn't here at the time. It was a gentleman by the name of Joel, but when we left, Joel and I both knew that we had found our home, and we knew that we needed this church as much as this church needed us, and we were so thankful to be in a room and in a place where there's so many people who will forgive me and forgive us and accept us, accept me for all the mistakes I've made and for everything I've done. And that's just what I wanted to say today, and I want to get in front of you and do that. That's my testimony and my confession. Thank you.
Jeff and I meet together every Wednesday about 4 o'clock and enjoy meeting together every Wednesday at 4 o'clock. This is making a little noise. Can you hear me okay? Yes. So, so. Ben, we'll do our best. Do I need to get up? I'll get up. A little bit better? Yeah. I was recently given a book that partially explains where I came from. No, it's not a genealogy book. No, it's not a biology book. It's a math book. High school algebra. 1906. And I'm not kidding, it explains where I came from. How, you might ask. I'm glad you asked me that. It belongs to my grandfather, my daddy's daddy, E.B. Shivers Sr. He was Evan when he had this math book. And it was given to me by a cousin a year or so ago. And I started thumbing through it, and when I got to page three, I found where I came from. My wife took a picture of page three. Evan B. Shivers, Maxine Dickerson, and an algebraic equation. <laughs> Lovers. Now, the term lovers, I think, meant a little something different a hundred years ago than it does today, okay? Even if not, you've got something in your family tree that equals that. That's where I came from. I'm an offshoot of Evan B. Shivers and Maxine Dickerson. Over a hundred years ago, that was scribbled. Four children ago, 16 grandchildren ago, dozens and dozens of great-grandchildren ago, I have no idea how many great-great-grandchildren ago. But I do know the most recent addition, my granddaughter, Annabelle. <coughs> how about that? This is an angel. This is a great-great-grandchild derived from page three of the 1906 <laughs> algebra. I'm serious. If that meeting had not happened a hundred years ago, if that had not happened a hundred years ago, Things would be different, wouldn't they? No Annabelle. No John or Treva or Tim or Charlie or the offspring or David. You ever wonder if there were consequences? There are, aren't there? To everything we do. What scriptures say? I find the word coincidence 
only one time in the New Testament, only once. And it's not the definition of coincidence we use today. You know the story very well where it's found. And if you're like me, you miss the part about coincidence. Let's go to the familiar. In a response to the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story, beginning with, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. They stripped him, beat him, and left him half dead. And then we get to verse 31. This is from the Young's Literal Translation. And I've never noticed this before. And by coincidence, by coincidence, a certain priest was going down that way, and having seen him, he passed over on the opposite side. The New Revised Standard Version, which I like the best, puts it this way. Now, by chance, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You know the story of the Good Samaritan very, very well. But if you notice that before, the by chance, the by coincidence part, that's one of those things that sometimes we just read right by and have no clue as to what it's saying. The word is translated from the Greek word centurion, which is a combination of two words, son and kurios. Son means together with, and kurios means supreme in authority. And so a biblical definition of this coincidence would be what occurs together by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. I love this translation. I read it this week. It says, according to divine coincidence, a certain priest was going down the way. You know it's not a coincidence, don't you? You know God, before the priest was ever conceived, before he had an algebra book, a hundred years before he was born, God had him going down that road at the time. You know that. Because we don't believe in coincidence. I really believe the algebra class, and I'm thankful. I, this is the first time in my life I've ever been thankful for algebra, but I am today. <laughs> I really believe that that class was a divine arrangement for Evan and Maxine to get together. I'm sure you've heard of the butterfly effect, movies, books been written about the butterfly effect. It began as a doctoral thesis in 1963 by Edward Lorenz. In it, he theorized that a butterfly might flap its wings, moving molecules of air into motion that moves other molecules of air, and eventually would be able to shift weather patterns on the other side of the world. That is what he said in 63. In 1963, they thought it was ridiculous. The New York Academy of Science said so, panning his theory. It wasn't until the 1990s when physicists working in concert around the world authenticated Lorenz's hypothesis. Commonly called the butterfly effect, it has now gained the status of a law. And it's been given a fancy name. It is the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. The law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. Joe Tevitz, Jeff Tevitz talked about that. 
He said he met somebody named Jeff, named Joe. And that's the butterfly And because of that effect, you're sitting right here. And not Jenny Fletching in a Catholic church. Joe grew up Catholic. And we love our Catholic friends. I don't want to get in trouble with anybody. I promise. So as I look at this book, I think of the butterfly effect. And as I read this book, I really think about the butterfly effect. With everything that happens every day. The decisions that Evan and Maxine made a hundred years ago have had the butterfly effect on, well, my family will have fun trying to count later on on how many. Evan, from the math book, led Charlie Hartsfield's father to Christ many years ago. So Evan had an effect on our friend Charlie. Ask him about that story. But we all have our stories, don't we? At this point, every one of us could get up and say, hey, this happened, and then as a result, this happened, and then this happened. The fire marshal stopped by my office Tuesday. He came in and saw Pat, the office manager, and she came back to my office with eyes big as saucers saying, the fire marshal is here, and he wants to see the old building across the street. We've been wondering about that encounter, how that might go, because it's really not, as he would say, up to code. He started, they've done this building several months ago, different ones, but he was here for that one, and he wanted to do the office while he was there. I call it the Reno House, but you know the office I'm talking about. Then it was the Urban House. I don't know who it was before that, but we were there. And he, so he thought, I'll do inspect this one first, and so he went down in the basement and looked around and inspected, and he came upstairs and he said, this is the first building today I've been in that I won't write a citation on. And I said, fellow, wait till we get across the street. <laughs> oh, boy. I didn't say that out loud. That was inside. <laughs> so we walk out into the parking lot behind us. And I said, do you mind if I ride with you? And we get in his truck. And we drive across to the Providence Project. So... On the way between here and there, I said, where are you from? Trying to make a friend. A little small talk. He said, a little town in Indiana. I spent the last 15 years before I moved here in a little town in Indiana. I said, really, what town? He said, oh, it's south of Indianapolis. I said, okay, what town? He said, well, it's near Columbus. And I said, well, we're in Bartholomew County, what town? And he looks at me and says, Hope, Indiana. I said, I bought my son's first car in Hope, Indiana from a guy named Ron Ransom. He said, you're kidding. <laughs> I said, I lived over near Versailles. 
and Holton, Indiana. And we used to go to Columbus, and we started talking about the restaurants we liked in Columbus, and we started talking about the high school he went to, and I coached soccer when Taylor was in high school, and we played against their high school. And then he gets out his phone and shows me pictures of his wife and his three-year-old child. <laughs> And they have another one on the way, and I invited him to church. And, we, we, and he's not here today because he's in Indiana for vacation. We talked about pork tenderloin sandwiches and silver queen corn. And between all of this, we start to walk into the building. And I tell him what's going on, and he looks at me and he says, you know, it's under construction. It's okay. <laughs> I said, you know, every now and then we do a little something. <laughs> and he said, you know, that's okay. He said, you might want to get some signs above the doors that are exit signs. Some fire extinguishers. I said, well, there's one right there. And so he goes to look at the fire extinguisher. And the last time it was checked was 1990, 26 years ago. <laughs> Would you like this as a memento for your hall of shame? Or do you want to take it with you? And he said, no. He said, um, I found one yesterday from 1989. And he brought me back over here, went his way, and sent an email the next day about how much he enjoyed our business. When I moved to Indiana, and that's another story on yet, God knew I'd be getting in a truck in this parking lot with a boy from Hope. When Taylor turned 15, 16 years ago, and I bought a Sunbeam Alpine in Hope, <coughs> Indiana, God knew that I'd be a fire marshal. Friday and I was in the hallway down at the end of the door of the fellowship hall with a plumber that Harry Angevine sent, Mike Castleberry. Mike's a Georgia Tech man. We enjoyed talking about him together. <laughs> and Mike got the water fountain going. I'm usually not here on Friday. That door would usually be locked, but a young man came to the door, named Stefano. And he was distraught, and you could tell. He wanted some water, and I got him a bottle of water and gave it to him, and he said he'd had a horrible day. <coughs> he stood there for a minute and said, Do you have a piano I can play? I've had a really bad day. So I said, well, brought him and showed him the piano. I went back working on the water fountain. He said, I just need about 30 minutes. He started playing. It was beautiful. So when Mike finished with the water fountain, and I'll tell you what was wrong with the water fountain. The elbows had gotten filled with solids over the years and over the years and over the years. And he had to clean the solids out with the hammer and the screwdriver out of the elbows. Some of you are going to avoid that fountain from now on. <laughs> <laughs> he 
came in here and I sat, Mitch, where you're sitting. Stefan was playing and he told me about his bad day. Didn't have a car, he walks everywhere, lives up and coming. Had had a bad relationship and it had ended that morning. He came to a church to see if he could find a piano to play and he did. And I said, Stefan, you need to know something. God loves you. And he looked at me like, how can you tell me that? And I said, well, I'm usually not here on Fridays. And that door is usually locked. And for the past 30 years or so, that water fountain has been getting sediment in the elbows, so it finally wouldn't work. And because of that, I'm here to be able to tell you about God. And I was amazed. And you can hear it flap, flap, flap. The butterfly effect of God putting you in the right place at the right time for the right reason. Last year, our homecoming speaker was the Archbishop of the Anglican Church of North America, Dr. Foley B. It's hard for me to call him the Archbishop. I've called him Foley forever. You know, I think Ron Urban led him to Christ in Kent, Toka. Flap, flap, flap. And it continues. And it continues. So the question is, does this mean that what I do will send waves a hundred years from now to Annabelle's grandchildren if the world continues? Is it possible for me to send waves a hundred years away? You think so? I do too. Look at this from Exodus 20, the second commandment, verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to, let, to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Does that say what I think it just said? That we can have impact positively or negatively on the generations to come. Absolutely. It does. Our daily decisions have consequences. Eternal consequences. Did you watch the Olympics? Did you watch Michael Phelps win the hardware? You know a little bit about this story. More Olympic medals than any other. Added more to his collections last week. The most decorated of all time. You know, perhaps he quit for a while and thought about not swimming. He was arrested for a DUI back in 2014. He said, I look back at that night and everything happened for a reason. He thought about suicide. He checked himself into a rehab. 
And Michael said, I was at the lowest place I'd ever been. Honestly, I sort of at one point just felt like I don't want to see another day. I felt like it should be over, he said, adding, I think I was at a point in my life where something needed to change and I needed to figure things out. I quote. In treatment, Michael Phelps earned the nickname Preacher Mike. Because each day he began with a chapter of the purpose-driven life. That's what Jeff and I look at on Wednesdays. And he got his copy of the purpose-driven life by a retired Baltimore Ravens linebacker, Ray Lewis, who had a pretty tough life too. And I don't know who gave it to Ray, but then Ray gave it to Michael and flap, flap, flap. It impacted Michael Phelps so much he started sharing the lessons every day with the people in rehab. According to ESPN, Phelps called Ray Lewis and said, man, this book is crazy. The things that's going on, oh my gosh, my brain, I can't thank you enough, man. You saved my life. Rick Warren, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, recently tweeted an encouraging message to Michael Phelps. Proud of Michael Phelps for his personal victories and excited he'll carry the USA flag at the Olympics. Michael Phelps' story is a reminder of the role of God's people and how we're called to be harbingers of hope or bringers of hope and agents of restoration. Whatever you think of Ray Lewis, he sure helped Michael Phelps. First Baptist Church of Sandy Springs has been flapping its wings for a long time. A long time. Many of your lives have been forever changed by things that occurred by the wings of this church. What you do does matter. Don't ever feel that it doesn't. Robert Frost said, I shall be telling of this with a sign. Somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Make a difference by what you do, what you say. <coughs> Mitch Higgins has been getting ready for homecoming. He's been flapping for a while. <laughs> Mickey Sewell has activated an army of angels to get ready for feeding you in a minute. She's been flapping at Hoss's expense. <laughs> Orbit Academy has a fascinating story of God working in a providential way. Flap, flap. I always like finding parents when they're leaving and introducing myself and saying, how's your kids experience with orbit and it's always uh, I found one the other day in the parking lot he said you know my son was at a summer intensive at Florida State University because of orbit what's his name Kevin. Kevin. Mm -hmm. K 
happened. There's been a student in orbit, and they filmed it downstairs and got him ready and sent it off. Flap, flap. The Providence Project is part of that flap in ways that I don't understand yet. Joe and Jeff. Joe and Jane and Ralph and Jean and Jeannie and Charlie and Donna and Harry and Betty and Cherise and Sonia and I could name name after name after name Paul. Our flap. And I get to watch and I've got the greatest job in the world. Bill and Jay have been flapping a lot. <laughs> I could go on and on. Make a difference. Know that you probably have more than you already know. As I say that, I see different Sunday school teachers who put up with me in my group over the years. And it makes a difference. So rise up. Rise up. And change this world that so needs changing. Rise up. And flap. My friend Tony is going to sing for us so we can think about that flapping. Pray for Tony as well. He has a hip replaced tomorrow morning. And we're glad he's here today. Let's pray again. Lord, help us to positively, eternally affect the world in ways that please you. Thank you for the algebra book that I have. Been my possession. Thank you for your divine hand that guides us along the path of others. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a holy hush all over as I walked into the room And as I stood before him face to face I was gloriously made new There was a great and awesome presence And a light as bright as any day And as I bowed and kneeled with the angels, I heard the Spirit say, All rise, all rise, to stand before the throne in the presence of the Holy One. All Then I looked at those all around me with their hands uplifted high. Then the Spirit it laid its hands on me and I uplifted high. And we were singing hallelujahs and 
praises to his name. And as I bowed and kneeled with the angels, I heard the Spirit say, All right. 